Well, if you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we'll start there, and what I'll do is I'll read the text, and then we'll kind of get into it a little bit. And here's what the word of the Lord says to us today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that my words may be given to me in, my, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. My uh, first child, who's four, was born in October 2015. And I still remember um, she would have been home at this time and just looking at her, either resting or sleeping. It was just me and her in a room. And I don't remember my exact wording or my exact thoughts, but it was something like this. I am now a parent. What I do is going to dramatically affect her life. Like if I go off the deep end, if I do wrong, it's going to deeply affect her. But if, I'm, if I pursue goodness and peace and joy, it's going to very much help her. Now, this is way more eloquent than I'm saying now, but then it was probably some sort of primal feeling, right? I think many of us who are parents know this feeling, though, right? This kind of weight of responsibility. Out of curiosity, for those who had dedicated children, um, is this your first child, any of you? at least one, two at least, there's a sense of a weight of responsibility. Now, it doesn't go with your second child, but I think I c you kind of get used to it, I suppose, at that point. You see, as, as caregivers and parents of children, we lead them for, for weal or for woe, for good or for bad. And this is actually one reason among many that we need to understand the topic of this passage, which is spiritual warfare. See, we need to know what it means to wear the full armor of God, to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Not just for our sake, but for our children's sake. We need to actually teach them to wear that same armor, to preach the gospel of peace to them, peace between God and them and among each other. If you don't have children, it's not like, oh, okay, well, I guess... This isn't for me. No, no, this is for everyone. 
If you don't have children, this armor is still for you. It is the thing that God has given you to engage in a battle that you are in, whether you know it or not. If you are not a Christian or not a believer yet, you still need to know about this armor. Because whether you know it or not, you, you are part of a spiritual war that is happening behind the scenes at all times. You are either participating in the prince of the power of the air's schemes, or you are serving under King Jesus. So all of us need to know a little bit about this fight. We need to know what it means to fight for holiness, to wear the full armor of God, to withstand in the evil day the schemes of the devil. For that reason, I just want to share with you from this passage three actions that you need to do to engage in spiritual warfare. It'll be essentially three actions or three main points if you like to kind of write notes. The first one is to be strong and know your enemy. Be strong and know your enemy. Uh, Paul here is concluding his letter, and he says in verse 10, and here's where I get my point from. Finally, be strong. So I'm not going to have the most clever points because they're basically just Bible verses, but I think that might be helpful to track the thought here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul has, in the first three chapters, given a, a, a wonderful explanation of doctrine. In these last three chapters, he begins to show how this works out in life. And here is the end of his exhortation, the kind of last part of his letter. And you know that because the first word is, finally. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And then he goes ahead and tells you exactly what that means. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. So to be strong in the Lord means to put on the armor of God. That's what he's talking about here. And this is really a kind of a call for battle. I mean, if you're living in Ephesus, this would be in the Roman world, and any kind of battle that you really know about is going to be sort of a Roman battle with legionaries who work together as a team to fight enemies. Um, some of you maybe have seen a movie where all, you know, you have Roman legionaries standing side by side. There was a bit of an older movie called Gladiator. I guess not that old. The beginning of it has people lined up side by side. They're about to get into a fight. People burst out of the forest and attack them, but they have shields and helmets and presumably swords, and they're waiting in line to withstand this attack, to fight back. This is sort of the imagery that Paul wants to bring into your mind. When he's saying, put on the full armor of God, he wants you to conjure up an image of your mind of a battle, of a war, because we're all in one. So why do we put on the full armor of God? Look at the, the rest of the verse. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Wait, so the armor of God is for the purpose of standing against the devil. Why? Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are, are like people. We're not fighting other people, exactly. But we wrestle against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think this verse should probably shock us more than it does or at least feel more odd than it probably does if, if we're used to reading it. If this is your first time hearing it, it probably sh- is hitting you the right way. I mean, Paul is saying, look, 
here's the Christian, this is the final exhortation of my letter. Here, here's the Christian life. You have armor, you're at war, and by the way, you're not fighting flesh and blood, you're not fighting other people, but actually, you're arrayed for battle against the schemes of the devil. And it's not just the devil himself abstractly, it is very specific things. It is powers, um, spiritual forces, and so on. You see, I think most of us uh, think of our enemies sort of more like in the political or the legal or the personal realm. But Paul here is saying, no, we wrestle with Satan's powers, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. It is Satan and his lackeys with whom we fight. So who exactly are these these creatures? I mean, you can, you can find this all over Scripture. If you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, it often talks about powers, authorities, princes, and so on. I'll just give you one example that maybe kind of will help to fill in the blanks. Um, someone was named Danielle, the feminine form of Daniel, uh, today up here. But in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prays that God would answer his prayer and to help out the Israelites in exile. But he has to wait 21 days for his, for his prayer. Well, why is that? Well, according to Daniel chapter 10, an angel finally does get to Daniel to answer his prayer. But the angel tells Daniel, I tried to get here, but en route to you to answer your prayer, I was prevented by the prince of Persia. And for 21 days, he withstood me until Michael, the angel, came and we teamed up and we won. And then, therefore, I could come and deliver the answer to your prayer. Daniel 10, 13. This is what the angel says uh, as a quote now. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now, I have to confess, I can't tell you exactly what is happening up there, but I can tell you, even in a very basic level, Daniel's praying, and behind the scenes, up in the heavenly places, there is a powerful battle happening behind his prayers. That's what Daniel clearly says. And this is the kind of thing, I suppose, that Paul is getting at. And if you look at this language, you're going to see it everywhere in Scripture, Colossians here in Ephesians. Even in Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 8 and 10, just read this with me. Ephesians 3, 8 and 10, where Paul talks about his gospel ministry. It's this. To me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given me, here it is, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God created for all things. And then we expect to convert the nations. But look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, the gospel is a bunch of things. But here, Paul is saying that the beauty of the mystery of the gospel proclaimed now does something. It is that the church makes manifold God's wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The gospel sort of has a cosmic scope to it. Granted, it's so important in our local life and our local churches, but it's also important at a spiritual and cosmic level. It makes God's wisdom known 
in, in heavenly places. It is a mystery that Peter says that the angels long to look into. First uh, Peter, I believe. First Peter 1.12. Now, if some of you kind of grew up in the Christian church, uh, probably if you're dedicating children today, if you were in, like, children's church, you might remember an overly cheesy Christian comic called Archangels that had, like, these impossibly buff angels on the cover, and it was meant for, like, little boys to kind of get them into the faith, I guess. Uh, it was so cheesy uh, and kind of funny. Does anyone know it, or is that just me? Was I, like, way too deep? Okay, good. Okay. All right. I mean, it didn't really hit everyone, but <laughs> there's two of us who get it. Uh, well, I guess that illustration I will not use again. <laughs> Point being, though, is they, they were onto something. It was so cheesy, and yet they were still kind of tapped into the gospel, the Christian life, as being part of something more, something bigger. You see, most of us, as I noted earlier, we think that our enemy is personal, legal, ideological, and so on. But actually, that's not the case. Our enemy is the devil and his powers and authorities and princes. It's not the Muslim neighbor down the road. Actually, that person is created in God's image, and we're called to love him or her and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. The real enemy is Satan, who deceives our neighbor into believing a lie rather than the truth. The real one, enemy is the one who tempts us to sin and despair and to do evil. The real enemy is anything that works against the beauty and truth of God. Okay, so we're sort of setting the scene of we're in a battle. It's bigger than we often think. So what do we do to participate in this battle? Well, look at verse 13. Therefore, on account of all these things being true, therefore, Paul says in 6.13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And this leads to my, the second action for spiritual warfare that you must do, the second point, as, you were, as it were. And it's to stand your ground. Again, how did I get this point? Look at the first word of verse 14. Stand, therefore. And you might notice there's a lot of standing. Verse 11, you'd be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, withstand in the evil day. Verse 13 again, to stand firm. And then verse 14, therefore, or stand, therefore. In this spiritual warfare, there's a lot of standing happening. Now, it's not necessarily like you, like at the water cooler, standing and drinking, but it is to stand in battle array as you hold your shield up and your sword up and your helmet on and your breastplate on as you await the enemy's attacks. It's being ready to defend yourself when you need to. It's always, uh, always being prepared to make a defense for the faith that is in you kind of thing. So here's a flow of thought. Uh, verse 10, finally, be strong. How do you be strong? You put on the full armor of God, and you do this because the devil and his lackeys are uh, trying to get you. So therefore, you put on the full armor of God, and now we are called to stand firm with this armor. We are to be uh, like Roman legionaries waiting to fight. Now, here's something that I think might be helpful to hear in this passage. Uh, most of these, I think all of these commands, be strong, take up, stand, therefore, uh, in Greek, they're in the plural. They are plural commands to the church that Paul is writing to. So granted, all of us have the armor of God, 
Granted, all of us can individually stand firm. And yet, the emphasis here is you all here together stand firm and put on the whole armor of God. Even the imagery of a battle implies that you're part of a team. But the commands in the plural here clinch it. Paul is thinking that this spiritual warfare happens as a church. You do it together. This doesn't mean that if you're by yourself one day, you have no defense against the schemes of the devil. But it does mean that the usual means by which you engage in this spiritual warfare is together as the church. Your team, a military unit. You are not necessarily called to be an individual great in, you know, savant that goes on your own somewhere and conquers all evil. You do it as a team. You're called to be doing this together. So, what does this look like? What is this armor? Now, if any of you are in children's ministry, you probably know the armor of God really, really well. You maybe even have flannel graphed it. Some of you know that, okay. <laughs> Uh, my daughter, uh, sometime recently, was actually, you know, working on the Armor of God passage, and I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to preach on that soon. <laughs> it's a very common thing in children's ministry, because it's a great metaphor. It, it helps us to conceptualize what uh, the Armor of God is. Well, it's pretty simple in one sense. It's the belt of truth. It's the breastplate of righteousness. It's the gospel of peace. It's the shield of faith. It's the helmet of salvation. I don't know if I'm counting right here. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that's technically a weapon, but I mean, it's part of your whole suit of armor, I guess. These are all the things we have. It's truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, the gospel of peace. All of these are part of the armor that we, that we put on. Now, some of us might read this and think of these as like individual tools that you use, like... Uh, you know, like those children's cartoons where someone holds a Bible and it turns into a sword, where you have each individual ones. But no, really, these are all gifts that every Christian individually and corporately has. We're all called to be righteous. We're all called to preach the gospel of peace between God and men and each other. In Ephesians 2, it makes two people one. In Ephesians 1, it unites all things in heaven and earth together. This is a spiritual warfare that we're all called to, and we're all called to wear, as remember, it's repeated twice, the full armor of God. All of us need to wear the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, and so on. All of these are really, in essence, metaphors of spiritual gifts, of spiritual blessings, of good things that God has given us by faith. Even in Ephesians 1.13, or actually 1.3, I believe, it says, blessed be God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These are in fact, that's uh, 1-3, I believe. These are in fact spiritual blessings. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. All of this comes from God in Christ through the Holy Spirit to us. The sword of the Spirit is identified as the word of God. This reminds us of Jesus' temptation. Remember in Jesus' temptation, Satan tempts him, and what does he do in defense? He quotes Scripture. He quotes the Word of God. You see, we're not so much advancing or attacking Satan as we are withstanding him. So we're all like good soldiers. 
we stand in the blessings of Christ. He has adorned us with beautiful armor, the best weapon possible. He lines us all up, tells us how to order ourselves. And then he says, stand there and you've already won. What's happening here is you're called essentially here to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to maintain holiness, peace, joy, the gospel of peace, righteousness, truth, and so on. This is what it looks like to engage in spiritual warfare. We are called to do good works. Remember in Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, uh, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what it means to wear the armor of the Lord. It means to walk in the good works that God has prepared before us. It means to be righteous, to wear the belt of truth, preach the gospel of peace, to do all the things that we're called to do as Christians in the spirit. And this is how we withstand the devil's schemes. Okay, so what are said schemes? I mean, you're talking about them a lot. Like, what is the devil actually doing right now in order to get at you? Well, if you flip, I don't know if you have to flip in your Bible, but if you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul already gives us some good insight into what this is. Look at uh, chapter 4 and verse Uh, 26 and 27. Paul says here, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then look at verse 27. And give no opportunity to to the devil. You see, what what Paul says here pretty bluntly, is that if you have unrestrained anger, if you let your passions take over so you're angry even up into the night, what you have done is you've opened up a door, an opportunity for the devil's schemes to work in your life. You've let anger control you and not the Holy Spirit. And in the same context, in verse 25 of chapter 4, Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For, members of, for we are members of one another. This is the, the belt of truth. Don't lie. We're the belt of truth. These are all characteristics of living the holy life. <clears throat> Bible commentator uh, Tony, I guess he's a preacher, but he wrote a commentary. That's my guess. Uh, anyways, he wrote a commentary. Tony Morita explains, Satan is wily, subtle, and devious. Paul has pointed out some of the ways he works already. He tries to gain a foothold by tempting us to speak falsehood. So in 425, what you read. Have uncontrolled anger in verse 26, what you read. To steal in verse 28. Or to share unwholesome talk in verse 29. You see, the devil's schemes are actually quite simple. I mean, they might be complicated in how they work, but they're quite simple in their effects. He wants you to sin. He wants you to tell lies. He wants you to have unrestrained anger. He wants you to share unwholesome talk. He wants you to sin. He wants to break apart your defenses. He wants you to take off the belt of truth so the sword falls. He wants you to drop that shield of faith so he can throw a dart at you and affect you and burn you up. He wants you to let down your guard. He, wa- he doesn't want you to walk by the Spirit. He doesn't want you to live by the Spirit. He doesn't want you to be filled with the Spirit. He doesn't want you to preach that gospel of peace. He doesn't want you to resist him, because if you do resist him at that moment, he will flee from you. 
He has no power over you unless you give it to him by dropping down your guard, as it were. Third thing, or last thing to say, spiritual warfare is not about exorcisms. It's about living a holy life. Third point. Rest in God by prayer. So far, I've told you that you need to stand, therefore, and you need to be strong. A lot of this probably sounds like, therefore, you have to work really, really hard to fit into this armor and to stand there and do everything you can. And it might be a little depressing because some days you're weak or tired or, you know, you're sick one day so you can't do this. Maybe it sounds really, really hard, like you, like you can't do it. And then maybe you're thinking back in your life when you've let your guard down and you've, and you've sinned, you've had uncontrolled anger with your children or spouse this week, or you told a lie, or you did whatever it is. You see, the way that Paul ends this section isn't to say, try harder. Get better armor. <laughs> Work harder. Be tougher. Look at how he ends. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, certainly, with all perseverance, certainly, making supplication for all the saints. Pray for yourselves, pray for others. And then verse 19, also pray for me, that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that is, to proclaim the gospel of peace. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You see, the whole context of spiritual warfare is in, the, is in the context of prayer. It is actually resting in God by communing with Him and praying for each other in the strength of the Holy Spirit. You see, the battle is actually not yours. It belongs to the Lord. At the cross, Christ won a decisive victory against the devil. The church of God is about to crush the head of the serpent underfoot. Victory is totally guaranteed by the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What we're given in the armor is simply a, a perfect defense against the schemes of the devil. Victory is guaranteed, so you just stand there. His dart will come, it'll hit your shield of faith and just dissipate. It won't hit you. You're meant to rest in the grace of God. And you're meant to pray and commune with God for strength as you battle day in and day out. You're not meant to rely upon your own resources. Even the armor of God is the armor of God. <laughs> it is from Him, given to you, so that you can wear it, and you don't have to actually go out and attack, destroy the devil everywhere he is. It says, stand there. Stand there. Withstand this attack. It's already been won by Jesus Christ. You just wear that armor strongly and you pray that Jesus Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit will empower you to use those spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> We're all called, in one sense, simply to stand still in the blessings of Christ. I enjoy the, the book of uh, Revelation. It's kind of a wild book. <laughs> as some of you know. Lots of imagery, uh, many wonderful things happen in it. But we also get to see an interesting scene in chapter 19 of Revelation. There you have 
Jesus Christ comes as the white rider. Some of you, you know the Johnny Cash song, When the Man Comes Around. He comes as the white rider, and there's a battle. I think, if I remember right, his saints are arrayed all around him for battle. He comes, I believe a sword comes out of his mouth. Then all of us, who's ever watched a movie or read an action book or whatever it is, expect to see a massive battle occur. And yet, we'd be disappointed if that's what we're expecting. Because Revelation 19 doesn't record a battle. It records Jesus ready for war, and then, next scene, bodies everywhere. (laughs) It might might first think, well, that's a bit disappointing. But actually, as a friend has said before, the Bible is very wise. God who wrote the Bible is very wise, but the Bible is very wise. There's no battle (laughs) between Christ and his enemies. He just wins. That's why it skips. There's no chance that the Lamb of God is going to lose. There's not even any resistance. He comes, and it's all over. I think something like that is happening here, and that's why we're called to stand so firmly. Christ has won the decisive battle. This is sort of a mop-up. We're standing here in this life, finishing the fight that Christ has already won for us by standing firm in the blessings that Christ has given us. You see, it's, it's a hopeful battle, not a depressing one. It is one that we thankfully don't have to fight on our own. We have a belt, a sword, a helmet of salvation, a shield of faith, a breastplate of righteousness. Probably forgetting something, but all those things. And preeminently, all of these are empowered by prayerful communion with God. It's amazing that Paul doesn't, when he asks for prayer here, he doesn't say, uh, and also pray that God gives me a giant axe to chop down the devil. What does he pray for? Just think about what he's actually asking for. Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He is praying not to have a dramatic power to fly around and to fight in the air or whatever. He's praying for the thing that will actually defeat the devil and his lackeys. He's praying for boldness in the gospel. If you want to defeat the other team, you preach the gospel. Then they become your team. If you want to defeat the devil, you proclaim the cross, which signaled his ultimate defeat. If you want to defeat the enemy, you proclaim the resurrection, because according to Hebrews 2, the way that we can give in to the devil is by being afraid of death. That's how he controls, by fear. But perfect love casts out all fear. And through the resurrection of the dead, we no longer have to fear that sting of death, or the death itself. We've already won in Christ. We're just standing there in his power. So I'd like to give uh, three kind of concluding observations. First, we need to know who our true enemy is. It's Satan and his evil powers. The country that we are at war with, like say if Canada was at war, that that wouldn't be our true enemy. Our political opponent down the road, that's not our enemy. Our Sikh neighbor in our cul-de-sac is not our enemy. Actually, God loves his creation and the people who are in it, and so should we. We're fighting against the spiritual powers that lay behind 
the pr- we're fighting against the, pr- uh, the prince of the power of air, according to Ephesians 2. We're fighting against the prince of Persia that prevents prayers in Daniel 10. We're actually using these spiritual gifts to persuade and to preach the good news so that those who are on the wrong team come to our side. They're not our enemies. There are people deceived and who need our love. Second, or in summary, we preach the gospel of peace that reconciled men to God. That defeats the devil. Second, we need to stand firm in the gifts of God. Living a holy life is how you rebuff demonic enemies. It is when you're at home with your children and you pray at dinner together. It's when you're married and instead of getting angry with each other, you take that anger and you make peace out of it. It's when you're at work and something wrong happens and you tell the truth. You made a mistake. That is how you win. Because you don't need to bash over a bash an enemy over the head. Christ has won. You just stand there in the victory. Preaching the gospel of peace means that you grow the army that are raised against the devil. Spiritual warfare is not esoteric. It is simply holy and missional living. Third reflection. The battle is the Lord's. We don't attack the devil with our own resources. Jesus has already seen Satan cast down from heaven like lightning. The cross is crushing the head of the serpent, and the final victory that we have in him is certain. That's why we stand firm in holiness, preach the gospel of peace, and pray. We pray for endurance. It's already, we've already won, we just have to wait it out. The only person that can make you lose in spiritual warfare is you. You have the full armor of God, and victory is guaranteed. So if we put the shield down, if we take the breastplate off, we let and let the darts of the devil hit us, that's because we put these resources down. And yet, at the end of the day, we still have an advocate with the Father. Even if we get damaged or hurt or, you know, quote-unquote, stabbed by the devil and his lackeys, we have an, uh, an inseparable salvation in heaven with our advocate, Jesus Christ. Because he died on the cross, any sin that we do is forgiven by repentance and faith in him. Because he rose from the dead, our final punishment is not sure. In fact, our final reward in heaven is waiting for us. It is our task to stand faithfully, and when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father that we can go to and ask for forgiveness every time. It is our task to stand faithfully and rest in communion with God in prayer. It is a guaranteed victory. The gospel has done it. Christ gives us a total defense. We need to rest in Christ's victory and resources to stand there in full battle array as the church, wearing the gifts of the Spirit, so we speak truth, we be righteous, we preach the gospel, we have faith, we embrace salvation in the helmet, we use the sword of the Spirit, and we pray always. That's how you engage in spiritual warfare, and that's how you defeat the devil and his schemes. Now, I remember uh, <coughs> when I opened, I talked about how I, um, when I first had my daughter, I remember looking at her and, and feeling like I had to be kind of good for her sake. 
And I think the kind of primal urge, whatever I had going on there, was, was mostly right, but I actually made a partial mistake. You see, at that time, I think I was thinking, I, myself, need to be very, very good. I need to be perfect. I need to be holy and great, and I need to, to do all these things so that my child grows up in the Lord safely and doesn't go off the rails. Now, that's partly true, but I was so subjective. I was looking so deep within to my own resources that I kind of missed the point of the gospel. I kind of missed how this passage ends. I was like at put on the armor of God, but I didn't get to verse 18 where it says to pray. I was, I have all the resources, but I didn't quite realize that it was the armor from God that I'm wearing. You see, we are in spiritual warfare, and as parents, you do need to raise up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And yet, you're not doing it on your own resources. You're doing it through prayer and supplication always, in the communion of saints, with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and each other as a team arrayed for battle. You're doing it together every Sunday at church where you come to worship. You're doing it in small groups together. You're doing it in worship and song. You're doing it, I guess, in some way through the baby dedication here today. You're doing it when you call your friend because you're having a hard day and talk through it. You're doing it when you tell the truth. You're doing it when all things are seeming to fall apart and all you can do is lay down and pray before God for his mercy and grace and help. That's the kind of power that we're called to access. <clears throat> Christ won. Therefore, it's not about you exactly. It's all about Christ and him having victory, him giving you the armor and to access all that power through prayer and communion with him. So as a parent, I had to learn that lesson. But even if you don't have children, it's not like, okay, well, I don't need the armor anymore. Actually, uh, you, all of us, <laughs> need to wear this armor. We all have to tell the truth, to be righteous, to have the Spirit indwelling us, to walk and live by the Spirit. All of us are called to be part of this spiritual warfare. All of us are called to not only embrace the gospel of peace, but to preach the gospel of peace, to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And if you're someone here who maybe hasn't yet come into the faith of Christianity, hasn't, hasn't yet trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation by faith, this is still for you, because you're either on that side or this side. And if you have any fear side of Jesus Christ is the side that has already won. And you get a full armor set, a brand new way to fight the war. You get the Holy Spirit, righteousness, peace, joy, and so on. This is actually a call for all of us to embrace the armor of God by embracing the gospel of peace. And that peace is not just with each other, although it's also that, but it is peace with God. Your sin keeps you away from, the lo from, from God. But Jesus died on the cross and died for our sake to take away our sins so that we could come to him forgiven and free by faith. And then he rose from the dead so that we would not only just be forgiven, but that we could live forever in blessed peace and enjoy this forgiveness and, and communion with God when we rise from the dead and enter into our heavenly place. So this call to fight a spiritual war, this armor of God is for all of us. So as I close, I just 
want to exhort you like Paul did. Stand firm in the Lord. Put on the armor of God and pray always, not trusting in yourself, but in the power of God and in the Holy Spirit and in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us and someone else will come up. <laughs> Lord, thank you for your kindness and grace, for the peace and joy that you have given us. Thank you for full armor that you have provided so that we can withstand the schemes of the devil. I pray for all of us in here in whatever situation of life that we're in, that you would, that you would strengthen us, that you would let us realize the power that we have in Christ, and that you would turn our hearts so that we would look outside to